Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. What's up, everybody? I am the other co-host. My name is Drew. Hey, everyone. So... With this being the final episode that we're going to release this year, we thought we'd, uh, you know, go back to our tradition of one year now where, uh, you know, we celebrate the end of the year by focusing on a comic that has to do with some sort of ending, right? I mean, I think that makes sense. So did we do that um, last year? I think last year we focused on comic, uh, like the best endings in comics. I think that's what we did. But Oh, yeah. I think... If we can try to make this stick, I'd like to do it where every year we, we uh, you know, at, when the end of the year comes, we pick one comic that either came to an end this that year or some comic uh, that provided a, you know, sort of ending. And, and I'll, I'll go into it because that applies to the comic that we're talking today about today. But, you know, uh, some, uh, a comic that provides a, you know, de facto ending, even if the series doesn't come to an end or something like that. But, you know, it, I think it'd be a cool uh, little thing that we can do to, to close out the year, you know? Right, right. Yeah. So that being the case, uh, this year, uh, one of the big comics to come out was The Last Ronin which is the de facto final and last uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle story that there ever was and ever will be. And we will never see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ever, 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 ever get. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty funny thing to say, considering that uh, a bunch of Ninja Turtles comics have already been released in time since this comic came out. <laughs> No, Drew, ever, never, never see them again. Never. <laughs> it is the last. <laughs> yep. Nickelodeon well, okay. will make sure that they never make any money <laughs> off any new Ninja Turtle stories ever again. It's uh, it's uh, the, the business model that they put up was they're going to do what Wu-Tang did, which is we're just going to make one album and we're going to sell it to some rich jerk out there who can <laughs> decide what they're going to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Scorelli is going to buy the last Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle story and he's going to decide whether the rest of human humanity gets to read it or not. Man, that would suck. <laughs> that would truly suck. Uh, he's an awful person already, but that feels like now he's just in, in my world, just <laughs> messing with me on purpose. But that being said, yeah, so the comic that we're going to cover today is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin. Um, Drew, do you mind giving us a little bit about the background on the comic? Sure. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, was originally published by IDW as five 40-page issues from October of 2020 to April of 2022, and the hardcover Collected edition was released shortly after the fifth issue came out. So it came, the hardcover came out probably back in the summer. Uh, and uh, as far as the origins of it, well, 
let me get to the credits because there's quite a bit of credits here. So story is by Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, and Tom Waltz. Script is by Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz. Pencils and inks are by Esau, Esau Escorza and Isaac Escorza, Ben Bishop, and Kevin Eastman. Layouts are by Kevin Eastman. Colors by Luis Antonio Delgado. Letters and design by Sean Lee. And color assistance by Samuel Plata and Rhonda Pattison. So, as you can see, there's a lot of people involved in the making of the comic. But in terms of the background, what I know about it from reading interviews with uh, Kevin Eastman is that this is a story that's based on an outline that he and Peter Laird had come up with back around 1987. So Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird were the original creators of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles back in the early 80s, or I guess, what was that, like 84, thereabouts? That sounds about right. Yeah. So the they did the first Turtle stuff, and then, as we all know, it ended up becoming a massive empire and by the time the 90s rolled around it was just in full swing with cartoons live action movies tons of toys and all sorts of other products yeah and and that's totally our era too because we grew up with the turtles um without getting too far into what the turtles have been up to throughout history i guess Mm. what we can say is that in i think 20 i want to say 2010 or maybe 2011 somewhere around that period was when idw got the rights to do turtles comics because that's at some point uh, in the past a little bit before then nickelodeon actually bought out the turtles entirely so so I, i think or not nickelodeon viacom whoever owns nickelodeon yeah yeah i believe that's viacom so yeah, so Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird sold their IP. I think they still get some kind of residuals or royalties and stuff. So, uh, you know, there's that benefit as well for them. But now that this corporation owns the Turtles, uh, I, I guess they decided it would be time to try doing some new comics. So IDW started doing a new Turtle series around 11... 12 years ago, some something like that. And it's been pretty good. They got this guy, Tom Waltz, uh, to, to write the series. And he did the first 100 issues or so. It's still going on. Uh, currently, it's written by Sophie Campbell. But Tom Waltz had a big role in doing those IDW Turtles comics. And he even got Kevin Eastman back on board in terms of just providing story input and things like that, and you know he'd draw covers and and stuff. I think he even did a couple of specials here and there with interior art. But even though, yeah, Kevin Eastman doesn't technically own his creation, he still was invited to participate in doing comics. And what we have with the Last Ronin is just the, I guess the fully formed uh, development of an idea that he and Peter Laird had come up with back in the 80s. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they had already, even back then, they had intended it to be this kind of tribute to something like The Dark Knight Returns, which was popular at the time. Yeah. If you look at the letters at the at the end of the book, they even, I mean, they acknowledge like way back when they first created the Turtles that there was a homage to Frank Miller and uh, Jack Kirby and Jack Kirby. Right. So, um, you know, and, and when they were writing the letter for this, they said the exact same thing. You know, they they, you know, dedicate this to uh you know, those works that inspired them. And uh, the one note that I thought was of interest in the, that they mentioned in the letter was that the what, initial- Are you con- talking about the afterword? Uh, yeah, the afterword. Yeah, the afterword. I was reading that and they mentioned that I think the initial idea of the Turtles was supposed to just be the first couple of uh, issues that they had done initially. And they if I'm understanding what they said right, they were saying that they didn't intend to do any more, uh, but because it was just such a success, it it just created this phenomena, and um, you know they got so many more stories out of it. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little tidbit. Yeah, definitely. The original Turtles comics that they did grew a lot bigger than what they had ever envisioned. Exactly, exactly. I was going to mention a big interview that the Comics Journal did with Kevin Eastman earlier this year, dated August 29th, 2022. The interview is by Jason Bergman, and he had a chance to talk to Kevin Eastman. And one of the, it's a very in-depth interview, but one of the things that they talked about was The Last Ronin and what Kevin Eastman had to say. So the question is, is that an older story that just never got made or where did that one come from? And Kevin Eastman said, and I'll quote him here. He says, yep. The original concept that became the last Ronin evolved shortly after Peter and I wrapped up turtles issue 11, which basically became the foundation of all things TMNT issue one through 11 plus the four one shot stories. So there's, there's a lot more uh, detail that he goes into in terms of describing the history of the turtles, his involvement with it, and how he came to join the IDW comics and all the efforts that they put into those comics as well as The Last Ronin. But to sum it up, yeah, it's one of those situations where they were coming up, IDW was coming up on a big number uh, with the ongoing series like issue 100, and you know, it'd been about 10 years. So uh eastman and and tom waltz who had been working together on on the series thought that it might be a cool idea to do something special and what could be uh, more special than coming up with you know like the last story uh for the turtles and that that's sort of what this is supposed to be even though we know that it's not like really the last (laughs) story (laughs) but it's it's ever Ever, yeah. ever, ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even though Peter Laird gets the credit for coming up with the story in in the book, he doesn't really have too much involvement with the final comic. 
it's I think it's more of a formality just because he helped come up with the original idea. And in the interview, Kevin Eastman mentions that he did call up Peter Laird and they uh, talked about it. And he, he asked him if it was OK to take it. And if he wanted if Laird wanted to be involved, he could you know be a part of it as well. But I guess Peter Laird decided he wasn't too interested in being involved with this comic, but he gave Eastman a thumbs up to proceed. So that's uh, a little background as far as how the story came about. It is interesting yeah. to see that this is the first Turtle comic in a really long time to have Peter Laird's name on it too, though. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fitting that, you know, the two uh, uh, originators you know to whatever degree that uh their involvement may be it's it feels like that's the way it should be though right like if it's 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 that idea of uh first one in last one out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um yeah I, I think just in terms of i guess poetry i wouldn't have it any other way yeah 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 and yeah so sometimes uh you know these comics will in an attempt to uh you know cash in on 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 being able to tell the last story without the ramifications of not having to write any more stories ever again based on uh that property uh they do things like this um you know so it's definitely a thing of uh of uh the companies having their cake and eating it too yeah yeah they can certainly market it and sell it as the quote-unquote last story or you know the end of the ninja turtles even though people who are (laughs) familiar with the way comics are know that it's not technically the last yeah in my opinion if michael bay couldn't kill them nothing can (laughs) these mutant turtles are stronger than cockroaches (laughs) Even bad Hollywood movie making can't destroy them forever. Uh, you can yeah. try to grind them to dust with horrible <laughs> meathead aesthetics, but you'll never see the last of the real Ninja Turtles. Exactly. They will outlive Michael Bay by centuries. Yeah. <laughs> when his when his cold body is rotting in the ground, the turtles will still be coming up with new movies and new <laughs> new comics <laughs> and new cartoons. You know what, though? One of my friends earlier this month texted me and asked me if The Last Ronin is actually the final story for the turtles, like no more new releases. <laughs> and yeah, I had to explain to her that it's just an imaginary <laughs> final story by the original creators. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's I I don't know if there's like a distinction uh when you say this, but I mean it's obviously an imaginary tale, but it's it's an imaginary final story, right? Yeah. Like if if the turtles was to come to an end tomorrow, this would be their last story. Right. Right. Essentially. Right. But yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's get into it a little bit shall we so i'm kind of curious drew um you know the turtles being the the worldwide uh phenomena that they are i'm kind of curious what your background with them is or your history with the turtles 
and your thoughts and feelings. Yeah. So I was born in 83. So by the time the cartoon came out, I was the perfect age to really glom onto the turtles. That was that and Transformers were my first two big obsessions as a kid, for sure. Like I like G.I. Joe too. Same years? Transformers predates Turtles. Okay. But basically, like once Transformers started to wind down was when the Turtles started to begin their meteoric rise. Right. And right. uh Yeah, I, I pretty much fell for it, man. Like I was that kid who yeah. was the complete mark for the turtles. I would always watch <laughs> the cartoons, buy whatever toys that I could get my hands on that my parents would get me. Uh yeah, watch the movies. What else was there? You know, lunch boxes, t-shirts, towels, whatever products had a picture of a ninja turtle on it, man. This is what I wanted. Pajamas, dude. Yeah. Hoodie pajamas. <laughs> I don't know if I had oh. pajamas, but I had I definitely had bed sheets and blankets. <laughs> yeah, there we go. See? Oh, I I got a question about that. Well, just to clarify though. So so you you'd say that the cartoons predated uh your your their the the comics for you at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, when I was cuz cuz you got to remember I was like probably 5 or 6 years old. Yeah. When the cartoon came out. I'm pretty sure I was in kindergarten cuz if the cartoon came out in 88, yeah, I would have been in kindergarten. So yeah, I don't think I would have been able to uh, read a comic at that at that point. It wasn't until like maybe first or second grade when I got into comics. But were but, you even aware that they were like based on a comic at that point? No, not at that age. When I was a kid, I was just like, "Oh, cool cartoon," you know, and I was yeah, that was it. Yeah. That was enough. Cool cartoon, cool toys, <laughs> and that's right, right. I was good, you know. Very simple mind, you know. Just uh, <laughs> <laughs> look. Pictures yeah, as, that as move. To the, uh, now I'm gonna eat paste. I have as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, because as a grown man, here I am talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which ain't too different from what I would have been doing when I was five years old, anyway. The only difference is that we have a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a huge difference. It, it like, makes all theoretically. The Theoretically, people listen to what we have to say about the turtles now, whereas when I was a kid, I'm pretty sure no one listened to what I had to say about the turtles. Yeah, my, my parents <laughs> certainly didn't care. <laughs> they were like, hey, we got you this toy. Now go go sit in the living room and, and play by yourself for a bit. <laughs> the point of us getting you the toy and letting you watch the cartoons was so that we wouldn't have to talk to you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so all these, all those conversations that I had in my own head when I was a kid – now I can have them with you on this podcast. <laughs> exactly. And I can reciprocate. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say that as somebody who was obsessed with the Turtles, oh, yeah, I also played a lot of the video games, too. All of the video games growing up as a kid. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, someone who was obsessed with the Turtles, there definitely came a point a couple years into my fandom when I discovered that they were based on comic book and it wasn't because I had access to the comic. It was mainly because at some point for a birthday, somebody got me this book. And it was a book about Ninja Turtles fandom or collectibles and stuff. 
And this Ooh. book went into pretty big detail, or at least I thought it I, I thought it did at the time. It went into detail as to where the turtles came from, how they were created, the origins, uh, and all the all the old Mirage comics that Eastman and Laird did, as well as various other creators. And it talked about the cartoons, all of the various toys that were out at that point, the movies, the Archie comics, and so on and so forth. So just reading that book over and over definitely gave me an understanding that Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird were the people who created the Ninja Turtles. And... Mm. It was based on a comic book, and there was actually another comic book that was based on the original comic book. <laughs> Can I uh, ask you something about that? Sure. Do you still have that book? I think I do. I'm going to try and dig it out. Maybe I'll uh, post a picture of it on our Instagram feed or something. Nice. It, it nice. might be amusing. I, I think it would. Very much so. I would definitely be amused by that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I think my first Ninja Turtles comics were actually the Archie comics when Archie had the license were to do... Just more the, cartoony and more... Yeah. More along the lines of the Saturday morning cartoon. I yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And of course, if you read that series for a long time, definitely after a certain point, it deviated quite a bit from the actual cartoon but in terms of its visuals it reflected what the cartoon looked like so it was pretty ripe for targeting a kid who grew up with the cartoon mm, mm, mm. whereas the original mirage comics they definitely didn't look like your normal comics at least not like the kind of comics that i was reading as at the time you know reading marvel comics and and dc comics that kind of stuff from the 90s and what whatever early 90s late 80s it from the big two at least it was pretty different from the ninja turtles comics because when you look at those old turtles comics they're probably closer in terms of aesthetics with underground comics they're just yeah, so for sure yeah there's there's like a lo-fi quality to them and and the drawings are just gritty they're not always super clean it's it's a lot different looking at eastman and laird's ninja turtles versus looking at versus something like john burns x-men or fantastic four or something or george perez or whatever you know like whoever was the popular clean looking marvel dc artist uh, of that same era right right but i did read some of those mirage comics when i was a kid because do you remember this indie company called First Comics? I don't. I've never even heard of it. Okay. They did Nexus, American Flag, John Sable Freelance, and stuff like that. Oh, okay, okay. You know what? Uh, now that you mentioned those, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with them now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. at some point in the 80s, they actually got the license to do some reprints of the earlier Turtle stories from Mirage. And not only did they reprint them in this kind of giant-sized magazine graphic novel format, but they also colored them. So instead of being in black and white, they had brand new colors. And I remember coming across those books at a bookstore and just reading them at the store. They were uh, pretty intense for a kid. 
They are. Yeah. 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 I just but uh reading yeah, reading those read def- those. Oh, you, you reread those? Yeah, because the the compendium came out for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles recently, and I wanted to to read those uh to see if I wanted to get that compendium and uh I mean I re- I read those comics too, like way back when. Uh um, and when I was, you know, uh, probably later in elementary school, but um, definitely reading them now and thinking about what I thought about them back then. I, I, I remember like seeing certain scenes when I was a kid and the amount of violence was kind of shocking to me. Like it always stuck with me. Um, uh, the particularly they, they killed the Shredder scene. in the first issue, man. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they killed him. well <laughs> i was gonna say the thing that always stuck with me was uh Aruku Saki killing uh splinter's master and his wife yeah. like that was something that just stuck in my head as a kid because it, and it's not like super gratuitous or anything like all, you basically like see sword slashes and then just big splotches of blood and you know uh like you see like a limp hand or something and even as a kid uh, i understood what that meant exactly the visual imagery like all put together told me everything i needed to know i i suppose if i was super naive i could have told myself oh they were just knocked out out cold they were unconscious (laughs) (laughs) man that would have you would have been a kid with a massive imagination what uh he came in there and then he hit them with their swords and then they got knocked out they they passed out from uh impact (laughs) and they just never woke up (laughs) oh man could you imagine if i had been that kid and what would happen if like something seriously bad ever happened to me in the world i I don't think i'd be able to leave the house (laughs) yeah What about you? Yeah. And what was your history with the turtles? I think I was very much like you. I'm I'm a little older than you, so um, you know, in terms of the cartoons and their impact on me, like I, I don't think the our age difference really does too much. Uh, you know, in terms of like how it impacted me, but you know, I, like you, I I just ate all that stuff up, and it was a lot of like uh, playing playing in the schoolyard, and you know, you and your friends all get to be a turtle unless you know, mm-hmm. you have, you know, way too many kids, then all of a sudden somebody has to be Splinter or Shredder or whatever, or, Casey you know, Jones, April or Casey Jones, uh, Metalhead. Was you that start his name? Picking all, you start picking all the characters from the toy line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anything, I, Ace Duck. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, Man. I guess that was that experience was a big thing for me and uh definitely the toys heck man even even today when i think about those toys there's a part of me that if i found any of those vintage toys anywhere i'd be tempted to buy them just cause, just cuz you know it's a uh, it's a big part of my childhood like kids would bring those to school sometimes and that was a big deal having uh, a teenage mutant ninja turtle toy that you can play with your other friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think at, like you, at some point I did discover that there was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic. I don't think, 
I think I just happened upon it though. Uh, like I never like read about it in a magazine or anything like that. So I didn't, I don't think I was aware of the timeline of its release. Like, you know, whether the comic came first or the cartoon came first, all I know is it was turtles and I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And, um, like I was saying earlier, when reading that as a kid, uh, it's it's kind of funny watching this cartoon where you know uh, Leonardo and Raphael like you know they they slip on a banana and they go whoa and that that's kind of the uh, uh, the extent of their hijinks and then going from that to a comic where uh, the shredder gets knocked into a garbage disposal garbage truck and crushed yeah by the end of it it was a pretty stark comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the live action yeah. movie tried to uh, capture some of that, but I think even the live action movie pales in comparison to the violence of the comics. Which is one funny thing to think of because, from what I remember of the live action movie, like he Shredder still falls into the back of yeah. a garbage truck, and the garbage truck crushes him. Now, now they don't go so far as to, you know show him making a gurgling sound or, or showing him actually getting crushed or anything. But yeah, for whatever reason, seeing in, in that movie, it doesn't really compare to what you see in the comic. Cause there is a raw quality to what you're seeing in the comic very much uh, attributed to that uh, indie comic style that you were uh, mentioning. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, like I don't, I don't think our our experiences with the turtles are dissimilar in any way. It, it it's it's just something where if you were growing up in that era, um, it was just a big part of, you know, your your zeitgeist. Um, yeah, and and it's it's clearly la lasted had a whole lot of lasting power because we've seen several iterations of the cartoon since then. Uh, we've seen uh, several attempts at different uh, forms of the movies. There was like a CG movie, so like I don't I don't know what the power of their popularity now uh, amongst like the current generation of kids, but it, it always feels like there's always some version of the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that are bubbling beneath the surface. Just yeah. waiting to be picked up by the next generation of uh, of kids. Yeah, yeah. Maybe sometimes there'll be periods, fallow periods, when the exactly. the property will lay a little bit dormant, but yeah, eventually they uh, come back to strike again yeah. when you least expect it. I'm kind of curious. I I wonder why why the turtles in particular have that kind of power. It's It'd be interesting if uh, if we could deconstruct that and figure out what what it is about them that just keeps them coming back. Uh, you know, it's 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 a funny thought because yeah, it, it it's they're just they're literally just teenage mutant ninja turtles and like on on the face of it, it's just such a, a absurd, bizarre idea, but. Yeah, it works. It does, man. There's a yeah. surprisingly rich mythology that's built into the concept of the franchise now. So there's so much potential for story mining. Yeah. You know, like you can you don't if if you were creating 
a new take on the turtles whether it was a comic book or a cartoon series or a movie you almost don't really even have to come up with any of your own ideas you could just read all the stuff that came before and do a take on that because there's so much that can form the basis of whatever it is that you want to do with the property and you can just trust that the inherent appeal of it is going to be enough to carry it through yeah actually talking about this with you it it did remind me of this one movie that they did a while back it wouldn't surprise me if it's like 10 years or more at this point but it was a uh, the animated this animated movie that they did and it was about the turtles essentially uh going through the multiverse of turtles and it was uh them meeting up with all the various iterations of the turtles yeah you're thinking of turtles forever i don't remember what the name of the movie is uh, so i'll i'll i'm assuming that that was the title but yeah that was a pretty i remember thinking that's a pretty wild and funny concept it was kind of the uh, Spider-Man into the multiverse before Spider-Man into the multiverse or into yeah. the Spider-Verse. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah. a, I was a fan of that movie too. That movie, I just yeah. looked it up. That movie was originally released in 2009. Yeah, it's definitely more than 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. It, it, it takes the main, it takes the turtles from the 2003 cartoon. And like you said, they kind of enter this cross-dimensional uh you know, multiversal adventure and they meet the 1987 cartoon versions of themselves. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, then at some point near the end, they they actually enter the original Mirage universe, which is in black and white and super grim. <laughs> and the characters are drawn just like they were drawn in the comic. Yeah. So it, that was it's, a really uh, cool homage. Yeah. It's a really big celebration of the Turtles franchise up to that point. Yeah, yeah. I do want to ask you too, but uh, I'm curious about how your interest in the turtles might have waned as you got older. So, like throughout the past decades, uh, after the initial excitement when you were a kid, like what? How did you feel about the turtles? Like, did you still follow them at all, whether it was cartoons or other comics or other stuff? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'd say after the cartoons, after, you know, uh, aging out of the cartoons, I'd never really followed the the later iterations of the Turtles. So like you were mentioning, there was a 2003 version of the series, which I think that was pretty well regarded. But I I just never really, I don't know, for whatever reason, I couldn't go back to the Turtles after um, my version of the Turtles. And, and even... Even under those circumstances, I'd, I'd say I haven't even gone back to that Turtles since. The 1987 cartoon hasn't aged well. It's not a good show. Yeah, I I presume that that's the case, but yeah, you know, it's, there's, it's, it's definitely something... strictly for kids. It's yeah, yeah, but it's not something I'd go back to, or or I don't know, maybe out of the novelty of it or the nostalgia, I might go back to it, just. Yeah, that's just for basically, the that's basically the only way you could go back to the 1987 cartoon is by yeah tapping into that feeling of nostalgia because if you just try to watch it to enjoy it for what it is, I, I don't think if you tell yourself this is peak fiction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that ain't yeah, happening. 
<laughs> it's just too childish, too goofy. The animation doesn't yeah, hold up. Yeah. The art's not very good. It's yeah. purely a product of its time. Try to watch it again as an adult, and you'll quickly see how the Emperor has no clothes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there was a pretty long gap of time uh, after that where I really didn't have any interest in the turtles or yeah it just didn't feel like anything that they were presenting to me necessarily uh appealed to me or caught my attention because you're right there was the 2003 series and then there was a live action tv show and that was just terrible i think Uh, that live action show might have lasted for half a season or something back in the late 90s yeah it was, that was bad. Pretty bad. I, th- I think they were trying to tap into the Power Rangers craze by having people dress up in these kind of like tokusatsu sort of costumes. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I was a little older by then, obviously, but e- even even for being younger, uh, being, you know, um, I, I, I want to say I was probably like a teenager when that came out. Maybe, um, yeah, maybe like the early years of... Uh, my teens and i might have been too old for that but even what i saw there, there wasn't any part of me that could tell myself that oh yeah the nostalgia of this is gonna put me in a position to watch it you know mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. it just looked too dumb and bad yeah um and yeah and then uh after that there was the michael bay movie and that was something i couldn't get into uh what about the uh, the cg movie the cg movie actually that was something that i was kind of curious about but i just never got around to watching it that's okay i have love for that movie man yeah yeah that that might be the best turtles movie okay okay i'll again i think that is the best turtles movie because the competition isn't very fierce at all (laughs) it's not it really isn't yeah it's got to be a toss-up between that and turtles forever okay i mean that's still not bad uh, yeah uh, i mean yeah, i mean i don't have two. any respect whatsoever for michael bay's movies yeah and the movies that we had when we were kids the live action ones maybe you could say that the first one has some the second one had vanilla some... ice baby <laughs> that's true it did it did have vanilla ice <laughs> what more do you need it's ice ice baby (laughs) when you put it like that i guess you don't need anything else man i guess that one is the best one um you've talked to me you've convinced me man you've swayed me with your (laughs) with your well-reasoned rational discourse (laughs) thank you thank you i knew that i could do that i knew that my powers of persuasion (laughs) were undeniable (laughs) but yeah like now that i think about it i uh i think it's only been in recent years that my, uh, I guess my interest in the turtles has has sort of come back, just because, and, and it's not it isn't in it isn't even the current iteration of the turtles comics, even though I'm pretty sure those are good, uh, the the IDW ones, but yeah, I've think, been reading those since the beginning, man. They are good. They're great. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it started off as a good series, and it was always consistently entertaining. But ever since issue 101, when Sophie Campbell took over and took it in a new direction, I think it's honestly one of the best superhero comics going on right now. Nice, nice. But I think 
part of what what it is is um i guess now that we're older and we're um you know more interested in comics as a medium and kind of exposing ourselves to uh uh just all the different kind of comics i've been going back to stuff that i haven't read which includes uh the teenage mutant ninja turtles the old mirage stuff so i was going through a period where i was rereading those and you know from that i ended up like this year they released that uh that that teenage mutant ninja turtles game the shredder's revenge i think mm-hmm. and i totally like just consumed that over a weekend <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun that's probably the only version of that 1987's turtles that i can stand because when yeah when you're playing you know, a video game yeah the interactions are minimal so i really don't have to put up with that much as much uh with as much of the silliness uh and really just it's more just about the gameplay and the button mashing and all that yeah but yeah, I'd say that that's the the weird up and down journey uh, I've had with the turtles. Um, so you've gone back and read or reread a lot of the older comics. Like, which ones did you read, and was there anything that particularly stood out? I didn't read a whole bunch of the the older ones. It's just that I remember reading some of those when I was a kid, and you know, because I didn't have access to it, that that was just kind of all she wrote for me. But now that, you know, we live in an age where, you know, Hoopla has so many comics at their disposal. And I mentioned earlier that they just released that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles compendium that just came out. Um, you know, these stories are more accessible to us now more than ever. So mm-hmm. I did read, uh, I want to say the first like 14 issues of the Turtles okay okay so you know it's it's not a substantial portion of it but you know it's it's enough to give you uh that's the uh, stuff that uh probably works as the foundation of everything that matters yeah 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 Yeah. yeah. i mean that's exactly kevin eastman himself said as much yeah and you know to go back to like the last ronin there's even stuff in the last ronin where when as you're reading it it you can definitely see the stuff that they refer back to in those early issues and, mm-hmm. and you know uh how they play out in this final teenage mutant ninja turtle story uh, yeah 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 did you ever read think, the archie ninja turtles comics when you were growing up i didn't see that's a that's an entire like huge blind spot to me mm, okay uh, is are those turtles comics but like I'm thinking back to what I read as a kid and yeah, I read the story where they faced the shredder for the first time. And then I read the story where they deal with Baxter and the mousers. Yep. And then the one, the one other story, and I don't know where it lies in the continuity, but it, uh, I think it was this story and, and it always stuck out to me because it was one where I want to say it was about Leo going out on his own and then just being attacked by, you know, the Foot Clan. And it was this whole story where, you know, it was just this battle for survival. And yeah. you don't really know what happens. And then suddenly all the turtles in April are like bunkered down. And then next thing you know, they throw his body through uh, the window. And, you know, it's it's just... It's a pretty dramatic moment, and it's it's the uh, 
the moment where you know they realize just how serious it is and you know they gotta have a final showdown with the returned shredder <laughs> yeah that was um, from the leonardo one shot if memory serves correctly yeah yeah and they also tried kid, to that was a pretty also, striking memory yeah they, that was a scene or a sequence that they put on the put in the first movie as well although I rewatched the first movie a couple years ago and it definitely doesn't live up to the memory I have of it in the comic. Mm. Yeah. Like I think the first movie is fun and, and it, it has its moments here and there, but it's just, it, it lies in that weird place where they're trying to appeal to the kids who were super into the turtles because of the cartoon Mm-hmm. But they were also trying to like do all these homages to the original source material that yeah. wasn't really for kids. So when they have yeah. to water that kind of stuff down, it, it doesn't really have the same impact. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I don't remember that scene in the movie too vividly, but I imagine it's just something with a substantially less amount of menace to it because... In the comic, like Leo is super messed up when that happens. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. In the movie, and, I remember that they showed that he was injured, but I, I don't remember seeing. There's you no know, part of you that believes that stuff. he's going to die. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that he could die. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely no part of you that thinks that when you watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's, it's just it's exactly far like less dramatic. Yeah, and it's like what you were saying earlier when when you had a big imagination, right? Like, hey, they just sliced him up with a bunch of swords, but he's just unconscious. He'll get better when he wakes up. <laughs> That's pretty much what it was. It's for those kind of kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what can I say, man? When I was that age, I was that kind of kid. <laughs> yeah. the, when I watched that movie, I was like, oh, man, they knocked him out. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> such a big deal to knock someone out <laughs> right right it's like i don't even know if he's ever gonna wake up from that how long is he gonna be out cold yeah. i don't know <laughs> oh man you want to talk about uh any of your thoughts on uh eastman or laird i think when it comes to the two of them, I, I just have an immense amount of respect for them because they created something that I loved as a kid and still enjoy as an adult and appreciate. And, you know, I look at it pretty fondly. And just the fact that even today we're still getting great stories with their creations, it's definitely something to appreciate from those two. In terms of their actual comics yeah the best turtles comics from that mirage run are definitely the ones that they did themselves because uh for those who haven't really read too much of the original mirage run from the 80s it started off as an eastman and laird joint and then as they got too successful they basically got dragged away from making comics and got dragged into running a business because now all of a sudden they had this massive international media empire to oversee. And from reading interviews with Kevin Eastman, I know that 
he and and Peter Laird took a lot of uh, took it very seriously, right? Like they didn't there wasn't a product that was released that didn't have their approval. So they were pretty much reviewing stuff all day and all night, making mm-hmm. sure that everything was lined up legally and uh, you know things of that nature, whatever administrative stuff that they had to do to maintain their their business. So they they had precious little time to do actual comics. Yeah. So that's why when you get to a certain point in the original run, you start seeing all these fill-in artists, and it not just fill-in artists, but fill-in cartoonists, where it, it ended up becoming more of an anthology series as opposed to an ongoing series. So mm. to their credit, they actually allowed a lot of the creators who worked on their stuff to maintain the rights to their to the any characters and stuff that they created. So I think that's a reason why there are still certain issues of that original run that have not been reprinted and possibly may not ever be reprinted because of the, I don't know, some weird contract or legal things that are going on. I, I don't know enough to explain the nuts and bolts of it, but there are certainly issues that I know uh, up to this point haven't been reprinted and i feel like there's a pretty low chance that they will be reprinted like there's a couple issues i'm thinking specifically the ones that come to mind are like i think 20 i want to say like issues 23 23 24 25 or like there's an arc a three issue arc there by rick veach who's a guy who did a lot of important mainstream work as well as a bunch of great indie work as well so he did that arc in Turtles, and that's never been reprinted. So there's, yeah, just there's just stories that are sprinkled throughout that run that are hard to find. But uh, because it's more of an anthology, I think you'll find that the quality of those issues tends to vary. It some of those are pretty good. Some of those can be pretty whatever, you know, just yeah, weird yeah. or just not to your taste or maybe by today's standards you might even find them a little bit amateurish or just mm-hmm. a little incoherent but at the very least they were interesting you know like even the ones i don't like are interesting in some way yeah it's uh it's kind of tragic that you would mention that cuz it's it's almost like it's the curse of success right it's 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 a situation where everyone wants to become successful enough where you can have this thing that leaves this huge cultural impact and where you can create a huge monetary success for yourself so that you can keep doing what you want theoretically. Right. Yeah. What ends up happening is, um, you know, the, the business end of it, the day-to-day business end of it ends up, keeping you from doing what you really wanted to do in the first place, which was, you know, creating this art, this work. Mm-hmm. So you know, I guess that's my long way of saying that's how much we love you here at Between the Gutters, you the listeners, because we know that if we ever got too successful, it would take us away from doing what we love most, which is making podcasts for you. Now give <laughs> us money on our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how that would. Do you come see what we do if for I, you? If I edit out the part where we just start laughing and giggling after you said that, I wonder how that would come across. Uh, do you see what we do for you? 
we fail on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. If you edited that out and it just sounded like that was just uh, a serious statement on on my part, (laughs) people would just be like, these guys are delusional. (laughs) (laughs) So pretentious. I know. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, all of that said, uh, I I do... think that some of the stories that Eastman Laird did are particularly outstanding. Like that story that you mentioned with Leo getting beat up, that, that issue is a great issue, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I don't remember what issue number it was, but basically shortly after what happens um, after that story is, is that the turtles have to leave New York and they go to Northampton in, I believe Massachusetts, which is, I think that might be where they're actually from, where uh, Eastman and Laird might have been from, or at least maybe they just lived there at some point. But the turtles leave New York and they go to April's farm, or I guess her family owns a farm. And they just spend a few issues recovering from their injuries and just resting. It's it's one of those stories where they've just gone through all this harrowing stuff they're physically beat up and tired and mentally exhausted. And they go out to this farm and enjoy life apart from the urban environment that they were accustomed to. They're getting in tune with nature, getting in tune with themselves, recovering, dealing with the aftermath of everything. Like all of that stuff is great, man. And and I, I eat stories like that up. So that yeah. that one's one yeah. of my favorite issues. And then the story where they return to New York, which I believe is just called Return to New York. That's a three-issue story that was pretty incredible, too. That's the one where they basically take their revenge on the Foot Clan. And in the in the course of that mission, they, they learn that the Shredder is alive again, or at least some kind of twisted form of the Shredder is alive, and they have another battle to the death. And there's a two-page splash that just stands out in my mind where they do that thing that you see in a lot of cartoons and movies where two swordsmen charge at each other. And then you have that one key frame where they slash and then they land on opposite sides of the room again. <laughs> right, right, right. You have that dramatic <laughs> pause before you see who dies. <laughs> yeah, and then one guy just drops and yeah. one guy's just standing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they did yeah. that scene with Leo and Shredder and there's just this amazing scene where a two-page splash with Leo slicing his blade through Shredder and funny thing is if you look very closely at that splash you'll see that there's a very thin white line where like cutting right through Shredder's neck implying that he got beheaded but if, if you're just reading it really quickly you might not notice that but then like later on when you turn the page, you're like, oh, dude, he just beheaded him. <laughs> you're like, and then you go back and look at that splash. You're like, oh, dude, they even inserted that little white line there. That's a, that's some pretty good art, man. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it, hearing you talk about that does sort of make uh, it, it reminds me of an interesting anecdote. And I think this came out around the time that CG movie uh, came out the one that you were mentioning earlier. Yeah. And I don't, I want to say, I forget who, who they were interviewing, but essentially what they were saying was that 
they wanted to do this story where the shredder's daughter was the villain because due to like the cartoon i think the shredder has been built up in the minds of a lot of people as this someone like the joker who's this ongoing menace and threat to the turtles right yeah but they were saying that shredder is actually he was actually supposed to just be dead after after a certain point you know he wasn't meant to continuously come back and and haunt the turtles into forever like you know being their forever antagonist uh for yeah. all time yeah if anything so, his memory is the thing that haunts the turtles forever yeah 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 and there's that's way more dramatic and poetic than you know i'll get you next time turtles <laughs> i'll make turtle soup out of you imbeciles <laughs> did you know that have you ever the watched the cartoon played- did you know that the dude who did Shredder's voice in the 1987 cartoon played Uncle Phil in Fresh Prince? I do. I did. Yep. Uh, James Avery. told me that last time, and that blew my mind then when I first <laughs> found out. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's a that's a cool, uh, like, deep cut that, um, you know, Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince was also the Shredder. Yep. He, uh, you know, he, you know, rest in power, dude. But that guy uh, left an impact on us as kids. Oh, definitely, he, man. He was part of two things that we cherished and loved. So we'll always have that from him as kids. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll always have that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally, man. Yeah. Man, that, talking about those old turtle comics. Now I kind of wish we were here just to talk about those turtle comics. <laughs> <laughs> hey. We got an entire new year coming up, so you know we could we could always make something up uh, for for an episode where we can just dedicate ourselves to the turtles. Heck, yeah. I haven't even read the IDW stuff, so you know that could be an opportunity to finally delve into those. Yeah, totally. There's there are yeah. so many IDW comics now. I, I kind of wish there was just a gigantic humble bundle for all of it where we could get, get it digitally. That'd be cool. Yeah, tracking down the physical copies now would just be a pain. It would just be, it would take up a lot of space. Even if they did some kind of compendium, I guess it wouldn't be too cheap either. But it wouldn't be too cheap, and those compendiums, unless they're hardcovers, usually aren't aren't the greatest quality. I'm not super confident that they'll last very long. Yeah, you're gonna break Uh, the spine. Yeah, or pages are gonna start falling out. You know, it's just. Uh, yeah yeah i think they have those hardcovers that collect two or three trades per book yeah, but even but then even so yeah yeah you're talking about probably like 12 or 15 of those it's a lot exactly exactly uh, yeah in in regards to like eastman and laird um i don't i don't think i have quite as much uh to say on those two because again for the longest time uh for me uh the the turtles you know was the cartoon for me so so the comics and you know the work that they that eastman and laird did on it wasn't something that really had too much space or or that that occupied too much space in my uh, memory of it so 
you know, I, I regard them well because they obviously uh, did this thing where they created, they're, they're kind of the picture perfect idea of what it means to create your own indie comic and to become a success, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like just looking at these guys, they, they did it their own way and they created this empire and, you know, we should we could all we should all be so lucky that we would ever have a chance to do that you know totally it's, totally it's one thing to get picked up and be able to work on something like you know spider-man or batman or superman or whatever but it's a it's another ball game to create something on your own and just have it become this foundational tentpole within the culture so you know, I, I, I do give them a, a whole lot of props for that, for sure. Yeah, really impressive considering that first issue started off as a loving parody of the comics that they loved. Specifically, things like Frank Miller comics and X-Men comics. Cause yeah. The, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things where a ton of Easter eggs in that first episode just refer to the stuff they love, like with Daredevil, right? You have uh, the story of the turtles origin where they start off as these actual yeah, yeah. pet turtles <laughs> that a little boy is carrying in a in a bowl or something and then the there's this out of control truck that's careening and it's carrying radioactive waste and then yeah. <laughs> if you read the turtles comic it's it's an homage to Matt Murdock young Matt Murdock pushing the old man out of the way of the truck yeah, where he gets blinded and gets his radar powers, but yeah, it's also the same ooze that gave him yeah. his radar powers also created the turtles. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and then uh, Daredevil, he he was fighting the Hand Ninja Clan, and the turtles fight the Foot Clan. <laughs> Daredevil's master was named Stick. The turtles' master was named Splinter. <laughs> <laughs> That's rich, dude. It's so Funny, rich. Man. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're teenage mutant ninjas because uh, I think New Mutants was pretty popular at the time, so you know teenage mutants had to do it. <laughs> yeah, right. You got to cash in on the mutant craze. Totally, man. And then everybody else, all these other wannabes, started trying to cash in. There were a bunch of those. Uh, yeah, wannabe turtles. Yep. There was like one with hamsters too, and radioactive black belt hamsters, or so, I don't remember yeah. exactly. What, but they there just was a bunch the of same garbage. nomenclature. Yeah, essentially yeah, just trying to you know steal their joke. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's a like a nod and a wink to to the audience saying, "Get it? We we get the joke. We it's funny, right? We can do it. <laughs> We're too. doing it too. Exactly." <laughs> Most of those weren't uh, very good. I imagine that they weren't. I'm sure they were just straight trash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we so, begin our discussion of The Last Ronin? Sure. Sure. Um, let me uh, let me try to give a brief synopsis of it. Yeah. How's that sound? Do it. So in, in a, you know, not too distant future, we see that I believe it's Manhattan which has been overrun by the foot clan and 
out of the shadows comes, uh, you know, one of the turtles. We don't know which turtle it is, but we do know that of the four Ninja Turtles, he is the sole survivor and he is on a suicide mission to get revenge for his fallen brethren. And so we, we enter his final epic journey and battle with uh, the descendant of their greatest enemy, uh, the Shredder. Um, and, you know, over the course of this journey, it's him reconnecting with various cast members and characters from the mythology of uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it's our opportunity to see how, what sort of turn their lives have taken in the years since that fateful period when all the other turtles uh, were murdered. Mm-hmm. How'd that sound? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much your dystopian future cyberpunk action story. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 exactly that. It's uh, it's a story that is chock full of those kinds of tropes uh, that that you kind of, that you see when um, when you want to do a story uh, that. That is essentially the last, the last quote unquote version, the last story from this character, right? So you ratchet up the drama by uh, teasing the fact that some people make it, some people don't, and mm-hmm. there's a deep dark mystery behind it. And how did things get so bad? And you know, just just a lot of stuff like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, like it's even funny because they even do that thing where you know in, in order to to show that things got really bad um one of the characters shows up and they've got a cybernetic hand and they're missing a limb uh <laughs> sometimes they might even be missing an eye or something just just to, so us the readers so we know like oh man things were really bad yeah and that person lost an arm and a leg <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's the way you, you got to show that the stakes are really high man when people get yeah. maimed that's that's what the new 52 taught us that's why <laughs> people were constantly losing arms in that universe <laughs> if you wanted to get rich in the new in the dc new 52 you would have invested in prosthetics <laughs> <laughs> So let's uh you want to start off with some spoiler free general thoughts? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I I'd say even though uh you know we 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 joked about it a little bit about how um you know this is a book that has a bunch of the tropes that you've come to expect from these kinds of stories. It's still a pretty fun story. It's just one of those stories where I think if you take it too seriously uh it's to the detriment of your ability to enjoy it because there's just things that even though it plays it pretty straight there are just things in it that are inherently you know kind of silly and kind of hard to mm-hmm. hard to unpack so I, I think the best way to enjoy it is to just strap yourself in and just enjoy the ride and you know not to overthink it there's cool moments here there's cool bits of dialogue um 
you know, if you've ever followed our Instagram, there's a bunch of stuff, uh, uh, posts that we make for, you know, when cowards unfollow us. I took a few pictures of those <laughs> to save those up because, uh, you know, there's dramatic bits in here where, you know, someone's yelling, coward, yeah. face me, <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for those. So I can't I, I, I can't ignore it when I see it. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's just a great it's a great uh, story about revenge and a vendetta and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, watching someone uh strike back and get their comeuppance um and and if you just if that's the level that you want to uh that you want to enjoy it on that is right where it's going to hit you i think yeah i totally agree with that i think this is a really fun action-packed comic that's very well paced there isn't a whole ton of narrative complexity to it but like you said, it's not trying to be more than what it is. It's aiming to be just this really visceral, futuristic, cyberpunk action story yeah. about characters that we all are pretty familiar with. And even if you aren't familiar with the characters, I, I still think that this functions as a pretty decent introduction to the Turtles. Like, if there's anybody out there that actually doesn't really know anything about the Turtles that never watched the cartoons or movies or read any of the comics, and this was the first thing that they ever read with those characters, I think they could figure it out and, and they could see... Yeah, yeah, it's not so appeal. complex where you're like, I don't get it, what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> <Who's who>? yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah. even though this is purportedly the last turtle story it's also a pretty dang good introduction to what makes the turtles fundamentally appealing and interesting and and fun i would definitely say that in terms of the artwork there's some bits in here that are just good to look at like it's not necessarily art where i'm gonna start trying to figure out everything else that these guys have done and look up all their other work but I think in the context of the story, I do enjoy the art because they do a good job of telling the story pretty cleanly. And mm. uh, like the designs are pretty fun to look at. The enemy ninja robots, or I think they call them sinjas because they're synthetic ninjas <laughs> or something. <laughs> right, right. It's, there's, so, even that, even though yeah. they play pretty straight, there, there's something just so silly about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's It's amusing, though. It's amusing. Totally amusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I didn't mean that like derisively. It's 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 schlock, you know, but the yeah. kind that you can just eat up for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's enjoyable schlock. It's yeah, it's pretty fun. I think because Eastman himself did the layouts, maybe that's why the story reads pretty well. It's uh-huh. super clean and, and easy to understand. So that yeah, makes it yeah. just a pleasure to read where you never really feel like you're bogged down with anything there's not an overabundance of of words covering up or obscuring the art yeah it's Can yeah I, it's yeah go ahead i i was gonna go back a little bit and ask you something about this um mm-hmm. just something that i'm curious about but you said your friend called you and like literally asked you if this was like the last the literal last teenage mutant ninja turtle story 
And yeah, she texted me. I guess I'm kind of curious because, uh, you know, I don't really have my pulse on like the comics zeitgeist, but I I think I was aware that this was kind of a big thing, uh, mostly from you because you were saying like a, a bunch of people were trying to get that first issue because they were speculating the crap out of it. Yeah. But yeah. But I guess I'm curious. Was your friend someone who was like at all? Is, was she someone who was normally uh, involved in comics or was she just someone who was, you know, just kind of peripherally aware of this and had this thing cross her, you know? I think she was asking and, me because she was considering it for a birthday present for her or not birthday, Christmas present for her brother. Oh, okay, she, okay. she happened to cross it when she was looking at uh, the New York Public Library's top 10 books of the year or something like that some kind of list okay yeah okay yeah would you say would you say that this was a comic that made pretty big waves when they announced it like was it something that got a lot of attention yeah from what i remember it got a massive amount of attention when it was first announced because people were trying to figure out oh who is the last drone in and that is part of the fun of the comic i think yeah especially yeah. uh before you even read the first issue when when all you had was the cover art or whatever images that IDW initially put out there. It was like, yeah, who who is this guy? He has he has all of the weapons, and you can't really <laughs> tell by the bandana because it's just black. Yeah, uh, you know, never mind that in the original Mirage comics, they all had the same color bandanas anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. yeah, he you know the the last Ronin has all of the weapons, so you can't tell who he is. It just made people pretty intrigued. And then I think the fact that it was Eastman and Laird's name was on it, um, that probably drew some attention. And the the publicity in terms of saying that it's kind of like one of those the end kind of stories. There's like it an element of up a lot of attention. Yeah, like, exactly. It, for it, a passer buyer, someone who doesn't know comics, like like your friend, right? If they if they saw that and they were like, oh, this is the last Ninja Turtles story, all of a sudden it puts that person in a position, like even if they don't know too much about the comics, if they just have a passing understanding of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm -hmm. it puts them in a position where they're like, oh, now I got to investigate this further. Yeah, at the very least. really is the last. Yeah, at the very least, it makes people curious and draws them in. It makes them yeah. ask a question that they ordinarily wouldn't ask. It makes them consider a comic that they normally wouldn't consider buying. Yeah. They got us. They know marketing. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of buildup before the issue was released. And then COVID kind of pushed things back. And I'm not sure if IDW intentionally did a low print run to drum up more hype. But like whether it was on purpose or not that's what ended up happening because when the first issue came out it just got snapped up super quick speculators jumped all over it because you mm -hmm. know what albert the last ronin number one is not only a number one issue but it's the first appearance of the last ronin So you speculators out there, I want you to listen to what he just said, because if you feel stupid, <laughs> uh, if, if that tone made you feel like an idiot, 
then that was the intended purpose of that tone. He wants you to feel stupid. You should feel stupid. I want you to go home and like look your wife or your child or whoever your loved ones are in the eyes and know that you are an idiot. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure somewhere in the back of their minds, they're screaming into the ether right now and telling <laughs> us that we're the idiots for not cashing in on an extremely valuable number one issue. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the it's issue nine point eight grade. <laughs> yeah, you know how much that cost. You know how much I could sell that for. <laughs> Even when it first came out, people were buying them and then just going straight to eBay. And it was selling for quite a bit just because everybody wanted to get their hands on it. Jeez. So, yeah, I think a big part of it was because of speculators. But yeah, I do think a lot of people genuinely did want to read it, too. And I think it's well, unfortunate because these speculators came into all these comic book stores across the country, buying, up, up. buying all these up. And then genuine readers who... Maybe don't even go to comic stores that often. Just heard about this and were interested. Weren't able to buy it because these speculators ate them up. And then, yeah, you know, if they go to the store and it ain't there, the odds of a civilian coming back in for for the comic in the future, eh, that's pretty low, I'd say. You know, like they have yeah. to be a serious fan or have serious interest. No one's going to. And especially if you take the perspective that if you want kids to to read comics if if you know if you care about the medium of comics and you think kids are truly the future of comics or or maybe not even kids but like new readers are the future of comics mm -hmm. and if num issue number one is so hard to get and people come into the store and all they see is issue number two no one's gonna buy an issue number two as the starting point for them to read or or that there's already that one barrier uh yeah uh, that additional barrier that's added that's stopping them from buying that comic now right yeah and uh you know not not to continuously beat on this dead horse but you know uh, uh, if speculators are a, truly a dead horse i i would i would beat them <laughs> mercilessly but... yeah i would continue beating that dead horse <laughs> <laughs> exactly but uh uh like i remember there were stories about uh stores who wanted to uh uh basically stop speculators from picking up comics so they would you know do things like well you're only allowed one per customer or whatever right yeah and then these guys would come in and they'd be like but my son wants one or my kid wants one or like i've got three kids we we can each get one right and you know it's an obvious ploy for them to just pick it up for yeah so they can flip it all it's just such gross you know use of your own kids um yeah, I, I don't respect these people. I don't respect them either. Yeah. I disrespect them. Exactly. I piss on their shoes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it feels like pretty much every episode we've got to either rag on speculators <laughs> or make fun of Spawn. So <laughs> that was uh, the... one of our prerequisites completed right there. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but it's just interesting to me because, um, you know, this this was something that came out this year or last year. 
the hardcover? Or did it end or this year? Talking about issue one. Issue one came out in late 2020. Okay, okay. Does the hardcover come out this year? The hardcover came out this year. Okay, so uh, uh, for for our purposes, we can uh, count it for this year uh, as you know uh, a comic that quote unquote ended this year or whatever. Yeah, but, I mean the last issue came out back in I want to say April or something earlier yeah. this year. Yeah. So this was kind of a big deal. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna say I was curious to see like how many of those people that bought that first issue ended up you know reading it all the way through and uh, buying the rest yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear the numbers on that myself. The first issue did get multiple printings. So mm-hmm. eventually they were able to put it out there. I'm not sure if the hype had subsided by then. I, I didn't really pay attention to the sales numbers after that first issue came out. There were quite a few months in between issues. So I sort of lost track of it, to be honest. When I first yeah, started yeah. reading the series, I didn't actually buy it because, number one, I was pretty late to get to the store anyway, so they were out of it, and obviously I don't pay exorbitant prices for, like, any comics, really. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like, it, I mean, it's it's pretty rare that I would buy a comic the week it came out at cover price anyway, because usually I just wait for the trade or something. We're just waiting for the wait for it to hit the quarter bin or the dollar bin. Right, right. Yeah, but <laughs> I will say with the last run, and I was interested enough where I was thinking about it. I was thinking about dropping like ten bucks or whatever the cover price was to to get the first issue and just check it out. But because it was so hard to find, that made the decision easy for me. So I I didn't have to spend that money. Yeah. Instead, I just read it digitally because. Hoopla ended up getting the individual issues, which made it even easier to keep up with. So I read yeah, the man. first two, maybe even the th- three issues on Hoopla as they were coming out. But at some point, I think I just lost track of it. And then I didn't realize when when the next issue was coming out. And then, you know, it just became a situation where I told myself, I'll just wait until the trade comes out and I'll get it then. Because I'd yeah. already read enough of it to realize, yeah, I enjoy this, man. I'll probably end up buying it just to enjoy the feeling of owning it. Right, right, right. I um, yeah. I, what what ended what ended up happening for me actually was um, when we were in Seattle, uh, like uh, two years back, it was around my birthday and. One of my buddies did end uh, up, I think they ended up getting like some sort of bundle from Torpedo Comics. And as a result, you, uh, you he was automatically entered into a raffle. And I ended up winning the uh, the first issue of The Last Ronin. Oh, dude, you got signed. a key issue. <laughs> and it's even signed by Peter. I, well, I, I forget whether it's Peter Laird or I think it's Peter Laird. Really? And he, yeah, and he drew, uh, I think he drew one of the turtles on it. So Wait, it's got you a sure it's Peter Laird, not Kevin Eastman? It might be Kevin Eastman. I got to double check. I'd be surprised if Peter Laird signed it. Okay, it might be Eastman then. So uh, I, I forget. It's, it's, I know exactly where it is it's sitting in my house. Uh, I'll take a picture of it and I'll put it up on the gram. 
wow, man, you got a signed key issue. Is it a first print, yeah. Albert? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Oh. So there's that. <laughs> it's meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> I, should, I should mail it back to Kevin Eastman. <laughs> yeah. Why did you sign this second printing? <laughs> <laughs> this is mid-tier trash. <laughs> uh, all right. So did you read your copy of it, of issue one? I didn't. I didn't, actually. So... Uh, it's still sitting there, uh, you know, unread. And when when it was time to do this podcast episode, I I just went to Hoopla and I just read the whole thing, um, you know, the the collected edition that they have available. So you know, Hoopla is always going to be the greatest thing to me because it it's just makes everything so accessible. I have got nothing but love for it. If you came across the other four issues of The Last Ronin in a dollar bin, would you buy them just to complete the set? I think I would. Yeah, I think I would. For sure, man. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So did you have any thoughts on the book itself? Like, did were there any things that you noticed? Uh, you know, uh, either observations that were humorous or just interesting? Are we going to go into full spoiler mode now? Uh, I think that's fair. Like, I, I unless there was anything uh, in the introductory material that you wanted to go into a little more detail about, um, I'm ready to do the actual book discussion. Yeah, let's go full spoilers. So everybody listening, if you haven't read the book yet and you don't want to know who The Last Ronin is, Maybe put this episode on pause and pick up the book and then come back to us because we are yeah. going to be talking about the book with no regard for human life in terms <laughs> of spoilers. This is going to be like bad milk, son. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I think what I was saying earlier about the book just being this fun kind of an action romp set in this dystopian future. I think that's probably the main piece of the main aspect the of the crux of it. <laughs> yeah, that's the crux of it. That's that's the main aspect of it that I enjoy. And I don't think the book really strives to be anything much more than that. Yeah. So to I want to unpack that statement a little bit because i think sometimes when we look at these end of days sort of stories that take place in a dystopian future and the hero that we've grown so familiar and accustomed to is aged and his allies are either dead or maimed or have an eye patch or whatever yeah we're just living yeah. in this dark future ruled by the bad guy we've seen that a whole bunch of times in comics, probably just in we fiction have. in general. But in comics, I'd say the most famous example of that is The Dark Knight Returns. Yep. The Frank Miller Batman story. And when we compare all the various end kind of stories to The Dark Knight Returns, it's very rare, probably impossible to think of a story that 
is in that same vein that lives up to the Dark Knight Returns, right? Like, it's hard to think of another the end kind of story that is as good as the Dark Knight Returns, not just in terms of entertainment value, but in terms of being a, a book that has something to say, that has some kind of depth or narrative complexity, something that does something with the medium, or just has something more than just you know it's got subtext is what i'm saying and yeah yeah it's it's almost like another example of something along the lines of the last ronin that i would say is in a similar tier would be old man logan the mark miller and steve mcniven joint because that's (laughs) another one where it's an old man hero kind of story old man hero <laughs> old man exactly <laughs> that that should be an entire line of comics man you can do an old man hero version of everybody well marvel was doing a bunch of those for a while uh but i think they recently just renamed them uh avengers of the wasteland because uh, that, that doesn't have the same ring to it man that's actually kind of well, lame they had old man logan then they did old man hawkeye and then they did old man quill so they had uh they had their own subsection of the Marvel universe that was dedicated to old man. <laughs> what's what's the one old man character you would die to see in a Marvel story? Jeez. Oh, I feel like the one that makes the most sense would be old man Cap. <laughs> <laughs> like if we were to, you know, play it straight, be serious. Um I don't know, but I think the thing about these uh, this old man sort of genre is they it's a lot of the times done in a way that almost feels like it's a western because the the main character is always someone who's damaged because they experience like this one massive tragic defeat that just left them scarred and mm-hmm. it's about them coming out of retirement for one last gig. Uh, and and you know and by extension redemption one one final uh, shot at redemption right yeah so there's there's always this aspect of oh I'm a grizzled old salt of the earth kind and I don't like anybody because you know when because the world crushed my faith and my hope in humanity and I used to be optimistic but now <laughs> I'm just angry at everything and everyone and yeah. like that still totally applies here to you know I was gonna say old man Ronan but <laughs> the last Ronan <laughs> old man Ronan is a pretty catchy name too <laughs> yeah but they're all you know they're all the same sort of story and I I don't think I have anything inherently against it um like i do enjoy those stories when they're done well but i do think we're at a point where those kinds of stories exist so much that um we run into the territory of uh like satire almost right yeah yeah uh you know for every uh, uh, Dark Knight Returns. I'm sure we have a bunch of Spider-Man Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know what his traumatic thing was? His radioactive semen killed his wife with cancer. <laughs> it sounds That's like why he can't be Spider-Man. <laughs> Listeners, 
it might sound like Albert is joking, but it's the truth. That's what actually happened in the comic. <laughs> Look it up. Spider-Man Reign by Carrie Andrews. Yeah. That was them trying to do their version of a Dark Knight Returns story for Spider-Man, and it was uncomfortably weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, we see that sort of thing all the time. And, you know, oh, they, wait, so, so you're saying that if you were making a serious choice, you'd want to see an old man Cap story. But what if you were just being silly? Who would you want to see? <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, man. You know who I want to see? Who would you want to see? I want to see old man Aunt May. <laughs> so not only is May Parker already old, but in this dystopian future, she's even she's older. Super old. She's super ancient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, That's what I want to see. A one-page comic, and she'd basically just be bones, bones <laughs> in a coffin. <laughs> ancient woman Jane. <laughs> I mean, ancient woman May. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Old man May. <laughs> Old man May, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I, I can still lose myself in those kinds of stories. And even though reading The Last Ronin, it, it, it's almost like a Where's Waldo of, or, or like a checklist of like, what tropes are they going to hit where that we're going to have to see in order to like have this classified as, you know, a grizzled old man, uh, 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 post-apocalyptic uh, story, right? And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you can almost just go through the book and be like, check, one of them is missing a leg. Check, uh, a bunch of his friends are dead. Check, he's got a deep, dark secret. Check, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the forces of evil are ascendant, you know? And uh, yeah. it, it'd be there fun are cyborg to... Ninjas. Yeah, they're... Sin synth jazz or whatever. Sin jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where I was going when I uh, brought up the topic is that this is a story where we can enjoy it for the tropes that it plays with, the various simple surface level elements of the story where you're familiar with the characters and you just want to see them in this different environment as long as the characters still you know, are true to themselves, even though we know that they're older and bitter, there's still something inherently or innately within them that still represents the fundamental core of who they are and and what they represent. And it's just fun to see how these kinds of stories bring that out in this alternate setting. Yeah, yeah. It's, so that that's the level that the story works. It's when you're trying to look for any deeper subtext that I, it doesn't really feel like there is too much. Because I was, I had read this when the hardcover came out, and then I reread it for this episode. And even the first time I read it, I think I was trying to see if there was any subtext. And then this time when I read it, I was looking even harder to see if there was anything that I missed the first time around. Yeah. And it it honestly doesn't really feel like there is too much more, you know, like it's just a straightforward story, action story about the last Ronin leading this attack on what's his name? The, the latest Hiroto, Hiroto Oroku. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who leads the, the, the foot clan now and and has conquered the the city. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. 
But the funny yeah. thing is, is that when you step back and try to examine various threads of the plot, there there are bits of it that kind of unravel, but that's if oh, yeah. you put too much brain into it. Like yeah. here's a couple examples that that I came up with. Like number one, the fact that the Foot Clan have dominated New York and basically have this gigantic castle, like a modern day or futuristic castle, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and they rule the city with uh, this with authoritarian. <laughs> yeah, they're authoritarians. They're or fascists. They have an iron fist with these cyborg ninjas patrolling the streets. Everybody kind of just lives in fear or uh, lives underground if they're in rebellion. But it, it makes make question, too much sense if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, like how did how did the Foot Clan conquer a city? And even if they did conquer New York, what about so the rest of the country? Exactly. You're saying that the United States military just let them take Manhattan? Just let them take New York? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's too tough to beat those guys. We'll just let them have it and hope they stay to we've themselves. Got, we've got atom bombs and like stinger missiles and stuff, but they're ninjas. They yeah. have oriental wizardry. <laughs> uh, they have mysticism behind them. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's pretty bizarre. And, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff uh, like that where, again, if you view it, uh, you know, if you actually take the time to stop and think about it, it does leave you scratching your head quite a bit, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, they've established that this has been about 16 years since this was, uh, you know, since uh, the tragedy of the downfall of the turtles, right? Yep. And presuming that 16 years ago is, you know, let's say it's where we are in current in the current time. Let's say it's 2022, okay? Mm-hmm. Just just to make it easy. Um, 16 years from now, their future is substantially different than we would imagine because they've got, like, robots roaming the street as, like, centurions. They've got flying cars. It's just, like, a whole other world. And I'm supposed to believe that only 16 years has passed since yeah. then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's another thing that kind of twisted my mind because I was trying to think when we meet casey marie jones we see that it's hard to tell from the art she just kind of looks like a young woman but according to the story she's 16 years old which means that uh yeah you know that's the thing that kind of gives us the the frame of of reference to understand how much time has elapsed but april doesn't look super old or I, i don't know it's like a lot of things where Putting an age on her just makes us question even more uh, yeah. whether all this progress could have happened in 16 years. But, yeah. you know, again, it's just one of those elements where you either just roll with it or you spend your time questioning why that doesn't make sense. And that prevents you from enjoying the story. So, you know, you got to yeah. make your choice right there. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think me and you are like minded for this particular comic where you know for the sake of our enjoyment i'm willing to just overlook it and not think about it too much and yeah you know sometimes that's okay and i know that's kind of a weird thing to hear from us because you know 
there are times where we'll rag on certain works for it, but I don't know. The, like, I think under certain circumstances, when when that's kind of when the crux of the story is dependent on these certain details in order for it to work, then okay, like I'm gonna I'm gonna like come down hard on this. But for for something like what the the last Ronin is trying to do, you know, it, it I I don't think one specific detail is gonna be the thing that unhinges the entire story. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it just makes it it's just a matter of choosing your battles is is i guess what i'm trying to say yeah i agree with that i agree with that yeah. it's it's not something that is done out of i guess really bad writing or just a poor decision making it's just like if i wanted to justify it i could tell myself that this story just takes place in some alternate universe you know because like it doesn't have an actual date to it it's just 16 years in the future so you know in the turtles world they've got advanced technology with uh aliens having already landed on earth so you could just tell yourself that somehow people got alien technology and it helped society advance even quicker or whatever you know like i'm trying to win a no prize here let's hear it let's hear what you got no no i I think that that really is as far as i want to go with it because uh, i think as i was saying it out loud i realized how dumb it was and and that's pretty (laughs) much the whole reason why it really doesn't matter yeah yeah i wanted to go back a little bit to what you were saying though uh earlier um when you were talking about like themes and concepts that the story itself does, does explore I wanted to interject. I do think there is something in it that uh, that touches on themes of like loyalty and uh, you know, uh, I guess legacy, because you know, there's there's this whole idea of uh, we're we're in spoiler territory, right? Yeah, we are. Okay, so so there's this whole idea of well, I'll just keep it brief for now, but like uh, the last Ronin and how he is trying to avenge the the other turtles that died. But, you know, uh, as as a, I guess a foil to him, you have, uh, what was his name again? Hiroku? Hiroto? Hiroto, Hiroto, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hiroto is over there and he's got his own legacy to deal with, which is the Shredder and and all that and he he's the grandson of the shredder i think he did they say he was the illegitimate grandson of the shredder no no he's actually the son of karai so he's okay okay. uh, the legitimate heir okay so so there's this whole thing where you know he's kind of stuck in this role because uh he's living up to his legacy which is killing turtles (laughs) you know (laughs) it's a funny way to put it but even then, I didn't think that was like a super complex theme. Uh, I, I think it's more baked into it because it, it's a comic about Ninja Turtles, and you know, you know, Orientals love honor. <laughs> <laughs> we are very honorable people. 
man. I can it, say that. It, I'm Asian. It, it's a good thing, man. It's a good thing you are. <laughs> a great honor. He's a great honor. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, actually, so. speaking of, of honor... I do got to talk about the title, man, because the last Ronin, <laughs> <laughs> the last Ronin is a cool title. It's a cool phrase. Yeah, but it don't make too much sense. <laughs> it doesn't, man. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Like they're, it's they're, another thing where teenage you mutant pull ninja out the too hard. <laughs> they're not teenage mutant samurai turtles. Exactly. Exactly. It's another thing where if you pull on it too hard, it's just like. It's just gonna ruin your enjoyment of it, so you kind of just have to go with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not, I'm not gonna say that watching a bunch of anime and reading a bunch of Japanese comics has made me some kind of expert on Japanese culture and stuff like that. But are you saying that you are not a weeb? I'm saying I am definitely <laughs> not a weeb. <laughs> but I will also say that from what I do know. A Ronin is a masterless samurai, so yeah. it it doesn't it's really basic. Seem to fit here. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the most basic thing. Like, I'm not saying again, like you, I'm not saying I'm I'm an expert on like Asian uh, culture, but I'm definitely not an expert on samurai culture. But but yeah. that is one of the most basic things that you would know about what a Ronin is or isn't, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, it is the most basic thing. And for them to, it almost feels like they were just like, it's a cool title. Let's just go with it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, I guess going back to the beginning of the Turtles, even though they're ninjas, they've always been presented as honorable and you know, all of those positive kinds of elements, even though I, yeah. I don't really know if that truly characterizes ninja throughout history. Because my understanding of ninjas was more that they were like uh, mercenaries or, or assassins. Well, based on what I've learned from all of my uh, viewings of Naruto, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've learned a great many things about the ninja and the art of ninjutsu. <laughs> how many how many times have you watched through Naruto now? <laughs> Zero. I can't stand the idea of the show. <laughs> uh, uh, you hear that, kids? Do you think we should? Uh, do you think we should read for our next episode? Should we read Naruto or Spawn? <laughs> oh man! Ooh, what have we read both and tried to see if we could make some sort of connection? Oh. You might have fallen upon a great gimmick there, my friend. Yeah. A great, terrible gimmick. <laughs> if if that's the sort of thing that can get us, let's say, a thousand listens, we'll do it. <laughs> it could be the first podcast in the history of podcasts to do some sort of comparative literary analysis between Naruto and Spawn. Well, when you present it like that now, that that sounds like a, a challenge. And <laughs> now it's a question of, do we accept the challenge? <laughs> Whew. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll uh, give you a week to think about it. 
now I'm kind of curious to see if that's something that we can pull off. <laughs> we could try to think of other bizarre combinations to do comparative analyses on. It could be a re- reoccurring segment on, on our podcast where we just pick two things that are seemingly unrelated and see if we can make them uh, uh, reveal things about one another. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. If, if anybody listening Forgot. out there has any suggestions for a bizarre combination or a bizarre pair of books to compare, let us know. Yeah, yeah. This uh, could be a very interesting exercise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, going back to what we were saying about ninjas and samurais and ronin, yeah, the the title sounds cool, but I don't really think that well i guess at least to to mikey's credit i don't think he actually calls himself the last ronin or anything yeah well okay so you you just touched on something and i kind of want to go over that so you just if you guys didn't catch it the revelation is that michelangelo was the last ronin so I, I, I want to know what your thought of that was uh, when when they finally... Well, two things. I want to know what your thought of how they revealed it was. And I'm kind of curious what you think of the choice of it being Michelangelo was. Uh, I think the way that they revealed it was... It was all right. Well, that kind of sounds like damning it with faint praise. <laughs> I think I think I should just say that when they revealed it on the last page of the first issue, it wasn't something that made me drop my jaw or surprised me or shocked me. It was just like, oh, okay, it's Michelangelo, and yeah. I kind of moved on. Like I wasn't like I don't like no matter who they who he was gonna be, I don't think it would have uh, affected me too much. Yeah, and, yeah. And truth be told, I don't I don't even really think it it matters that much that it's Mikey. It kind of doesn't. It kind of doesn't. But like I, I think... The way, yeah, the way the story has progressed by the time issue one begins, the way he is 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 like... He's he's a different person anyway, you know? Like, there's, there's very little of the classic Mikey in him. He's yeah. sort of this... He's sort of become this composite of all four of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's definitely not go over there going, Radical dudes! Let's get pepperoni pizza. <laughs> Shaka bra. <laughs> what? I don't know. I'm just saying surfer talk. <laughs> Is that what surfers say? Yeah, I think it's a thing that they do. Oh, okay. Man, I, I obviously don't know anything about surf. I know less about surf culture than I know about samurai. <laughs> well, okay. So I, I, I asked you all that because... In, in my reading of it, I think I knew going into it that there was going to be this mystery, but when they just, it, it just felt like it was a pretty nonchalant reveal. Yeah. Because you're reading it and then April just goes, oh, hey, Michelangelo, or something like that. It's really just that simple. It was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say I was like disappointed in it because, you know, overall the, the story was what it was and I was fine to to enjoy the ride, right? Yeah. But I think my expectation was that they were going to like tease it out a little more. And I don't know. I, yeah. I think the other thought I had was that 
maybe in choosing which turtle was going to be revealed to be the last sole surviving turtle, it would make some sort of statement on, you know, the turtles as a whole or something, you know, like, well, I, I, I don't feel know. Like, I feel like the reason why I don't know this for sure. And I haven't read an interview with Kevin Eastman or heard him say anything to explain why uh, he chose Michelangelo. But if I had to guess, my guess is that, Mikey is the last Ronin because he was the first turtle. Not, not, not in terms of like age within the story because Leo's the oldest and then Raph and then Don and then Mikey. But in, in terms of being created, I, I believe that when Eastman and Laird were developing their initial doodles or sketches, Michelangelo was the first one that they drew. Okay, see, I'm pretty, I'm pretty that's sure a, that's that, how the story goes. That's a thing that I wasn't aware of, but it's, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's nothing as uh, deep as, oh, they chose the funny one because, you know, what's, what's more, what's the most dramatic thing that you can have than to break the soul and spirit of <laughs> the most lighthearted turtle of them all? And this yeah. shows that he has fallen the furthest. Uh, but if, if it was, even that explanation is is more than sufficient for me, right? But I just yeah. needed that context because, uh, I mean, just the way that my brain works, like when when the mystery is put out there uh, for them to reveal it, then, then my mind races to figure out, well, why why him, you know? Like on that meta level as a writer, why would you choose him? So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, th that explanation does do a lot to uh, bridge that gap for me. Yeah. I mean, somebody listening out there might want to go do a, an information search and verify what I just said about Mikey. But yeah. if I'm remembering it correctly, I, th I think he was the first one that they drew before they even made the comic. I'll tell you what, if you decide to tweet at us or send us a dm that's a you know it's, it's like a five-page thesis on what you think the last ronin being michelangelo means i would accept that send that to us and i i will pour over that with in deep thought i'm curious to see what you guys have to say and if you actually <laughs> write that much for this exercise maybe albert can read your entire essay in his 1920s Chicago gangster voice for the wow. enjoyment of all. That would be intense. How's that for incentive? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Okay, okay. Did you think that the story would be any different if they used a different turtle? That, that's the thing. I don't know if it would have been any different if it had been a different turtle. I, like, I, I think the first thought I had when I finished it was that exact question. I sat there pondering the thought of, well, would it have been different if it had been one of the other turtles? I don't know that I have an answer for that, but I, I think it's an interesting thought exercise because if you look at it as a challenge, if you were to write this story four times over, what could you do 
differently for each story that would make it unique to each turtle. And I do think that that would be an interesting exercise, right? Mm, like, yeah. if you really cared about each of the ind individual turtles and you cared about them to the extent that, you know, you've, you've deconstructed each of them on this other level and you, you figured out like what the ethos of each turtle is and you could apply that to, to each version of that story. It'd be interesting to see what a version of each of those stories would look like where each turtle gets to be the last Ronin and what it would say about each individual turtle. That'd be a heck of an exercise. Man, if they ever wanted to milk the franchise, they could totally just <laughs> do that. Yeah, right. They could do a version Four of the last Ronin universes. with each turtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you think of the ending, uh, or I guess the epilogue? The scene with uh, Casey feeding four baby yeah. pet turtles. Yeah. I guess it was a cute ending. It's a nice way to sort of bring things into a circle. Yeah. Where we started the origin of the turtles with four actual turtles in a in a fishbowl, and now we end the story the same with way. Four new turtles. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I I, think, I don't really know if there's any real value in trying to imagine what they're gonna do next or anything like that. Because in that panel or that page, you do see that they're hooked up to some kind of equipment with the the TCRI the mutagen. Yeah. So there's some kind of uh, you know, and and it's clearly implied when she tells them that she can't wait for them to grow up it's implied that they're gonna become mutant turtles as well and she can i guess be their sensei yeah yeah but that you know that's the kind of thing i think is fine just to leave to the imagination i don't need a sequel that goes 20 years into the future to show us when these turtles are teenagers or whatever you know Right, right. <laughs> I like how you said it goes 20 years into the future to show them being teenagers. <laughs> 20-year-old teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> they got held back a bunch of times. <laughs> I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> hey, hey, but you know what? Some turtles live pretty long lives, so That's a couple true. decades, That's man. <laughs> You know, in 50 years when they're teenagers. <laughs> exactly. I do feel like that's kind of been the thing or or uh, the thing to do for a lot of these stories, uh, these post-apocalyptic, uh, you know, VN types of stories where they've, I don't know, I, I don't know if uh, The Dark Knight Returns was the first one to do that sort of a you know that was a good death but this will be a good life sort of mm -hmm. ending right where mm -hmm. like you know even at the end of it it's really the start of something new and um but you know having read a few of these it always seems to end on this note where this isn't you know even though we're we're billing this as the end of the story there's it's really the start of something you know quote unquote new right yeah, so I think they always want to end those stories with a note of hope as well. Yeah, yeah. Eh, it's 
but then again that's like another one of those uh, uh checklist tropes that you kind of knock off when you're doing these kinds of uh dystopian future stories right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one yeah. thing i did read in the, that interview with kevin eastman is he he was kind of mentioning or discussing a little bit about the dark knight returns and he said that he was curious but just never got around to asking frank miller if the ending in dkr was the original ending that frank miller had intended all along or if dc or some kind of editorial mandate insisted that you can't have batman die (laughs) Huh. So that that would be a good question. I don't know if Frank Miller has ever said anything about that because when Kevin Eastman brought it up, that made me think too. You know, it was like, oh, I never thought about that before. I, I always just assumed that DC was letting that him was do whatever intended. he wanted. But yeah, yeah. Now I do wonder if Frank Miller's original ending for DKR all along was for Batman to live. Man. You've infected me with a mind worm. Now I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a fun question to think about. And perhaps yeah. because of that, because of the way DKR ends on that note of optimism, that's probably why the last Ronin also ends on that note of optimism for the future. Yeah. But again, like as like I was saying, a lot of them in the same way. Um, Old Man Logan ends with him walking off into the sunset with Baby Hulk. Yeah, you yeah, know? that's true. That's true. And uh, Rain ends with Spider-Man, you know, dealing with the fact that he killed his wife with radioactive semen. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes on to become a new Spider-Man with, uh, I think, his d- granddaughter or something. <laughs> Is that what happens? I, it's been so long since I read the comic. I, I, I don't, don't remember, remember it. how it ended. <laughs> I just remember he killed his wife with radioactive semen. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the thing that you can never forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If Kari Andrews left any of an impact on me, it was that. <laughs> yeah, that's a heck of an idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the last uh, Ronin is full of homages to Miller's work, though, because even that final battle, they're fighting in a literal mud pit. Yeah, he even, uh, I think Michelangelo even says it at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. He, he refers to it as a mud pit, and that's a reference to the fight that Batman has with the mutant in uh, yeah. Dark Knight Returns. The mutant you leader, know? yep. Yeah. So This isn't a mud pit, boy. It's an operating table. <laughs> and I'm the surgeon. Yeah, yeah. Such a good line. There's a an homage to the other Frank Miller comic that I think was a big influence on The Last Ronin. And that is during the scene when, I think it's the last issue, when Michelangelo, right before he goes into Hiroto's sanctuary room, or the final room, like he has to fight this really big sword guy. I, I don't oh, even, yeah. I think it's a robot or something. Yeah. Or just yeah, something yeah. in this big armor. Um, or it's, yeah, it's a robot. It's, it's got like metal wings and stuff. And then he, uh, picks up a big sword on the ground and, and, you know, has his back turned to the robot, but still slashes him. And, and that's how he defeats the robot. Yeah. That's uh, an homage to Ronin by Frank Miller, 
That makes there's sense. A, yeah, there's a scene, a double page splash in in that book where the main character does the same thing, except in Ronin, the character he actually stabs himself, stabs right? through himself, yeah, to kill the yeah, enemy. Yeah. 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 I think Rob Liefeld stole that panel too. <laughs> oh, I mean, of course he did. <laughs> yeah, I think he, I think he did that with uh, Shatterstar. <laughs> Some X Force comic. Yeah, yeah. I did want to talk about the final scene a little bit too, and that was a pretty, like, nice send off for the turtles. It's after he fights Hiroto, and they're battling in the mud pit, and you know he, he, he finishes him off right. Well, I want to talk about that entire battle, too, because the whole time he's fighting Hiroto, he's got this armor that allows him to... It's basically liquid metal, right? And yeah. it's constantly uh, changing and evolving and protecting him. So uh, over the course of the battle, uh, Mike's just Michelangelo's just hitting him with uh, the various weapons of his brother's and he's just, you know, saying things like, this is courtesy of Raphael. This <laughs> yeah. is from Leonardo. This is from Donatello. It's it's <laughs> it's kind of uh, silly, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I thought that was, uh, you know, that, it's, it's entertaining. Yeah, you know? it's entertaining. It's entertaining. Yeah, I'm not going to, uh, like, diminish it. And then, uh, you know, once he finally beats him, uh, you know, he's he's in his final moments and he's talking to Casey and she's telling him about how, um, you know, Oh, you were supposed to be my sensei. And he gives him a uh, splinter's book and he says, this will teach you everything. But the last, you know, the last page is from me and it just says no peace. Right. Uh, no, as in K N O W to, to no peace. And then, yeah. um, you know, he finally, uh, his, his final heartbeat finally happens. And then, he... That's another homage to DKR man, the the flatline. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. That's uh, Bruce Wayne, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then he wakes up and he's, uh, you know, it's it's probably like a, a a dream or something like that. But he he's now at his peak. He's a 20 year old teenager again, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he's with all his brothers, and you know they're. It's it's them going back to you know one just when they were all at their happiest and they're up there on the rooftop and Casey's there and Splinter's there and it just ends with um smells like you know, home yeah father uh but New York City indeed has its own unique odor and he goes yeah it does it smells like home and it's just all of them together it's a it's a pretty sweet like panel uh just to just to just to end that note on uh, yeah you know. say goodbye to the characters yeah so i thought that was pretty well done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think in terms of some of the other things about the book that well not exactly stand out but things that i was looking at and trying to think about as i was reading like one of the things is the authoritarian bent to the setting because you know that's how again most of these kinds of stories typically are like it's almost kind of uh redundant to call it a dystopian cyberpunk future because just calling it cyberpunk sort of implies that it's dystopian to begin yeah, with yeah it says it all exactly yeah but there's 
like you mentioned earlier, there's like robots patrolling the streets. We have these uh, sinjas, <laughs> synthetic ninjas or cyborg ninjas or whatever they are, man. And yeah, and actual robots and uh, flying mousers and stuff like that. There's all this stuff keeping the people in line, but there isn't really anything that kind of covers or or implies a sense of uh well i mean we know that there are rebels because casey is part of a rebel group casey and april but as far as like what the average person in the city believes or how they feel you don't really get a whole ton of point of view from from those people it it, it kind of I think that's one of the differences between this and DKR is because at least with DKR, we have scenes where people are reacting and responding to the return of yeah. Batman. Like they have, have that like uh, news reporter scene where they're interviewing, you know, the man on the street sort of uh, exactly thing, and it gives you different uh, perspectives on just what your average person is thinking in this populated world. Exactly, exactly. You get stuff like that. You get the news reports where the reporters are just telling you what's going on. You you get that one issue where the psychologist is on TV and, and talking or on some kind of talk show um, before Joker bus free. And, you know, there's just all these scenes where it in DKR, it, it feels like Frank Miller did think about the world that Batman inhabits at that point in time. So there's more of a, a sense of impact when he does return. Whereas mm. in The Last Ronin, when Mikey returns, it's not really anything that does anything for anybody. I mean, yeah. you have Casey rallying to him because he's connected to her family. Yeah. But as other far than as... That. Yeah, other than that, like none of the other rebels really have anything much to do with them until they have that big battle in, in like issue four and he yeah. leads their assault on Baxter Stockman's stronghold. But you know, they're, they're just like there to be cannon fodder. It doesn't really feel like they do anything um, that serves any kind of thematic import. There's also yeah. um, the scene when they start to turn the tables on the ruling regime and the, all of the foot stuff is in in chaos. So now people are just looting and and pushing cars over and tipping cars over. Like it, it feels like that's a scene that kind of hints at the social unrest that's always been within the population. But we just get so little of it that it might as well just be non-existent. Yeah, yeah. It's it does feel like it's almost a, a play by numbers at that point where. Again, um, you know, you're you're just hitting the checklist of well, this is what the popular. I think it's safe to assume that this is what the populace looks like under a you know, uh, a, a cyberpunk fascistic di- dictatorship or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. uh, they mm-hmm. just need to be inspired by the return of this one hero, uh, like so much so that it's all just kind of shorthand, and you just presume that that's how it all rolls plays out, and it that's kind of what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. One of the 
uh, reviews of The Last Ronin that I read was a pretty good review. Uh, it's, again, on the Comics Journal by written by Tom Shapira. The review article is titled, Here Comes Tomorrow, The Last Ronin. And I, I definitely recommend uh, looking it up on the Comics Journal website if you want some interesting discourse about the work. And he also points out that it's a work that isn't really about anything, which is kind of disappointing, uh, more to, more so to him, because I don't, I, I think at least I'm able to still enjoy it for what it is, even though it's like pretty straightforward and superficial. I still had fun reading it, but I, I think at least based on his review, he, he probably, he comes across as not liking it quite as much because it doesn't have anything interesting to say. And even, even though, you know, it's Ninja Turtles, so what you expect to hear from a Turtles comic probably needs to be somewhat restrained because you're not going to have extremely high expectations for capital A art. But still, mm. a lot of other Turtles comics had stuff to say, you know? Like a lot of other Turtles comics had a little bit more depth than this one. So it's not like... It's not like this guy is being pretentious in reviewing this comic. It's more just pointing out a lot of things that we've actually already mentioned, like the stuff about the fact that the ninjas rule an entire city and like what, <laughs> what, what's going on with the rest of the world? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And what he says, what Tom Shapiro wrote about that is here. I'll just read exactly what his quote is. When Hiroto is finally defeated, there isn't any sense of how the city is meant to function. What do citizens other than our protagonists feel about him? What is his relation to the rest of the country? Is New York meant to be some independent fiefdom? Is there still a president? <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can ignore these kinds of questions in a shorter story, or you can supersede them something more interesting. But the last Ronin has nothing to offer in exchange. There's no sense of place and time for this story, which is particularly shameful considering how much the original Eastman and Laird comics felt of their particular moment. And now I, I want to read the following paragraph too, because uh, this was something pretty interesting that I hadn't thought about until I read his review. But again, Tom Shapiro writes, what about the history of the franchise? Surely the creators have something interesting to say about the way the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have changed throughout the years from self-published success story to a child-approved multimedia franchise. Eastman sure seemed reticent about his overnight success in that big interview. He's referring to a, a previous interview. There's a hint of something interesting in the idea that Michelangelo is still mutating, getting bigger and stronger the way the franchise did, while also taking a more monstrous appearance. Or the idea that being close to him all these years affected the DNA of his human friends and mutated them as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so uh, that idea that Shapiro brings up in his review about Michelangelo still mutating and getting bigger and stronger, but getting more monstrous as well. Yeah. That, if we... Like, there's a way to look at that as a metaphor for the franchise as a whole. Like, I, I think that's a pretty interesting idea. I, I don't think the comic does intentionally do that. Or Yeah, yeah. But I, I think 
if it had, it could have gone in a, into a pretty interesting place, you know, like there's, it's definitely an idea that had potential to be more than what it ended up being. And I think if they had explored that metaphor, the way that Shapira mentioned, uh, I think that would have been a pretty interesting story, man. Mm-hmm. It sort of makes me go back to what we were talking about with that Turtles Forever story where maybe it's that's not something that was quite as critical of uh you know what it had to say about the turtles and their I guess meta journey mm-hmm. uh in real life but it was something that reviewed the turtles through the lens of um yeah, through the lens of just how they've evolved and changed over the years uh, for like different generations and um, different audiences, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you so, think that The Last Ronin is in conversation with any other stories, whether it's old turtle stories or DKR or Ronin or anything else? What do you mean by in conversation? Like, like in terms of its depth like is it something comparable to something like daycare or not comparable in terms of depth but is it commenting on any of those other stories does it have anything to say about those stories because i think we agree that it doesn't really seem to be saying anything about anything important it's not saying any it's not making any real social commentary other than like the most basic anti-fascist kind of stuff yeah i don't i don't think it has anything to say on on that end either it really feels like it's just and and i and this might sound like a backhanded compliment but it 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 feels and and i don't mean it as such but it i was gonna say it feels like it's it's a greatest hits almost of of what to expect when you're telling a story about dystopian futures yeah um and and i don't think there's anything wrong with that especially if you just want a fun story that you can just enjoy yeah Um, yeah i guess the one area that i might concede uh to that critic is it would be interesting if okay if we did in fact look at the look at this story as the final teenage Mutant ninja turtle story um i guess there would be I guess I, I'd be interested to see a story that had something to say about the turtles, um, you know, again, o- overall or as a whole over the years. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be a comment about society or um, civilization or anything like that, but, you know, uh, something that that's a statement on them uh i think that would be interesting i think that'd be fitting you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh especially if you're considering it as the final send-off of these characters uh it'd be poignant to have something to say about them that that is essentially the final thing that you want people to know about these characters i don't know don't know that this this story necessarily gives you that mm yeah that's fair that's fair yeah does the does the last ronin make you think about any other stories in a new way because of what you've just read uh 
Oof. I don't think it does. Uh, like I, I, again, if we're going to go back to what we were saying earlier, where if you overthink this story a little too much and you pull on those threads, it, it makes, it begins to make less sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's sort of the same situation where I think the way that this story works best for me is if I just look at it in, in almost this vacuum as its own self-enclosed uh, adventure story, and if I just kind of keep it there at that level, right? Mm-hmm. Because if I start to pull on that thread, then, um, yeah, I don't know if there's if I'm going to find much there there, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. And and like I I don't necessarily like putting it in those terms because again it feels like I'm kind of dumping on it but I'm 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 not, you know. It's it, it was an enjoyable romp and I'm fine with that. Yeah, I don't uh, think it's set so, out to be anything pretentious or anything. Yeah, yeah. So you know, maybe for anyone who Again, going back to that critic, right? For anyone who who views this as the final turtle story, if if you w- went into it wanting, um, well, okay, I guess this touches on something I was going to say. Well, earlier, well, to but, clarify, I don't think he views it as the actual literal last turtle story. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That's true. But I was going to say, like, if you go into it wanting, you know, uh, I guess closure or something like that. I guess in the narrative sense, it gives you closure, well, but I, I, again, let me, uh, clarify. I mean, I don't want to, again, I don't want to speak for another guy, but to clarify yeah. his, his, his main problem with the last Ronin is that it's not really about anything. Yeah. 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 I get that. I get that. I, I, what I was going to say was, uh, I think the thing about this story or, or the, the, the level where you can enjoy it is kind of the navel gazing continuity porn uh, aspects of it. And that that's something that we usually, you know, kind of disparage on this podcast, but I do think this is something that imbibes in those in the best way uh, in, in, you know, in the funnest way uh, because these are the only kinds of stories that you can only tell where in a world where you have um, fully flushed out uh, world building where, where the world building has, has been done. Right. So it's, it's, it allows you to view these characters and, you know, play with the idea of, Oh, uh you know what happened whatever happened to them how did how did leonardo die how did Raphael die how did donatella die you know whatever happened to splinter and stuff like that you know it's it's and again it's not this isn't the de facto end for the turtles but for that brief instant in time when you're reading the story you can put yourself in the headspace where this is that where where those stakes are just that for you and you know, in that brief moment when you're just kind of consuming all that, you're 
invested in the drama and the fun of it. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess that's that's how I, I view uh, my ability to appreciate this. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm with you on that, man. It's just a, a fun, entertaining romp. And there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe if everything I read was like this, I'd get kind of tired of it. But yeah, with the turtles, dude, I'll I'll take it, man. Again, like I was saying at the beginning of the show, it's just something that I appreciated a lot ever since I was a kid. So, getting this story is pretty fun. It it does tap into the nostalgic aspects of my mind or elements, and uh, it's just a a well executed straightforward cyberpunk action comic yeah yeah and i, I can, think that's i, I can enjoy can it for what for it, it is yeah, yeah it doesn't i don't think it aspires to be much more than that and i'm okay with it it's mm-hmm. i understand what it's trying to do and yeah i enjoy it and appreciate it yeah i'm, I'm with it man and uh, again this is the fact that you know eastman and laird had you know whatever input that they had on this it that that's worth something too you know so Mm -hmm. yeah i i enjoyed it i enjoyed it and uh I, i think it's it's a fun comic did you know that they've announced a sequel (laughs) have they really yeah it's called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, The Lost Years. Uh, I mean, I guess that's more of a prequel, right? Because I'm assuming that it takes place in the the years that Mikey was uh, roaming uh, Japan. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it's about. But based on the little blurbs I heard about it, it sounded like it might even flash forward to after the end of this story at some point like i don't i don't really know man but it so it, it is like, gonna give us 20 years after these turtles are teenagers <laughs> yeah, yeah i think it's gonna give us some stuff with casey and her new little turtles as well as okay as well as encompass the stuff that uh mikey was doing during those 16 years when he was missing okay I mean, the way that you describe it, it sounds like it could potentially be some sort of framing story where, you know, we're seeing the the new turtles as they're learning lessons from uh, Casey and, you know, she's reading from the book of Splinter. Could be. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Although if she's reading from the book of Splinter, I'm not really sure why we would see Michelangelo wandering in the wilderness. (laughs) I guess we'll just have to wait and find out. The first issue is supposed to drop next month in January. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I read this and I enjoyed it. So I got no problem going to that. And I mentioned earlier that the compendium just came out like a couple of months ago. And that's a pretty hefty uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle book uh, that collects a bunch of the old stuff. So if you guys are, uh, I mean, we're not quite at the recommendation section, but if you guys want to check that out, that'd be something to check out. Um, It logically makes sense to check that out because it's just, you know, all the turtle stuff in one place. Yeah. Well, yeah. Early stuff anyways. Yeah. 
I, I still enjoy those comics, man. I think they're a good read. They hold up. Yeah. Definitely I mean, some I just, of my favorite eighties comics. Yeah. I mean, I did just, uh, I, I was saying earlier that I had just read, reread, uh, I think the first two volumes of one of the collections. So I think that's the first time I I've read it since I've developed my adult brain. <laughs> so <laughs> It is it is quite a different experience reading that, and I I can fully appreciate it more, um, you know, coming from where I am now. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Hey, I don't think I asked you this whole time though, but who is your favorite turtle? Uh, I think Donatello was my favorite for the longest time. Uh, I don't necessarily know if I have any other reason. Um. Other than, I think the first turtle toy I ever got was Donatello, and well, I guess I like the fact that he was kind of the the you know the whiz kid of the group, the the genius. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I I did like that, I guess. I think I there was some part of me that aspired to be that until I realized that I was an idiot. <laughs> 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 I didn't have the grades for it. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's no way you could build a a blimp out of the stuff flying around in a sewer the way that Donatello could. <laughs> Remember the <Yeah>. blimp <laughs> in the cartoon? Yeah. <laughs> I well, I, I think that how was... they would keep a blimp in the sewers, man. <laughs> that was the other thing too. I think I think all the other kids wanted to be, you know, one of the quote unquote cool turtles. So you know me being a bit of a contrarian i i that's why i wanted to uh, why i gravitated towards donatello mm, was because he wasn't cool uh he wasn't, wasn't cool fun. to be smart huh i think it's fair to say that that ethos still permeates today <laughs> you, think, you think people enjoy being idiots yes oh okay <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know, um everybody always wanted to be Michelangelo and if not Michelangelo then Raphael and then if not Raphael then Leonardo, right? Cuz you either want to be the leader, the tough guy or the funny guy. But nobody ever really wanted to be uh the you know, the quote-unquote nerd in the group. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Who was your favorite? Interestingly enough, when I was a kid, Donnie was my favorite too. That was because, was yeah, I loved the color purple. And then okay, okay. anytime I played a Turtles video game, the bow always had the longest reach. And that, yeah. that was just what I stuck with, man. Yeah. So I, I think I just really, really enjoyed him as a character. Yeah. But I, I'd say as I got older, when I read more of the old Turtles comics, I, I think Raph slowly overcame donatello and okay. my personal favorites i mean I'll, i still definitely have a soft spot for donatello but yeah. i think raf is the one that probably resonates with me the most okay yeah oh yeah well i forgot to mention and i think as i grew older i uh i just got way more into april because she was just kind of hot <laughs> so, <laughs> so i didn't even really care about the turtles anymore i was just like really into that yellow jumpsuit <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny man 
Yeah, I mean, even well, okay. Uh, even when I was playing that uh, Shredder's Revenge video game on Xbox, um, April had like the best moves. She was like fast, you know. Okay. She's a fast okay. hitter, so I was like, I know it probably makes the most sense to play as one of the turtles, but I'd actually rather play as April. <laughs> more fun uh, to look at, huh? More fun to look at, and like I said, she was just a uh, faster. She she moved faster than any of the other turtles. I guess her thing was speed. Turtles are pretty slow in real life. I I guess so. I'm pretty sure I could beat up four turtles. What about if <laughs> they were Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Probably not. But, you know, if they were just regular turtles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, I would just wreck them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And if, if they were really, really big turtles, you could probably, probably just run away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they were like tortoises, I'm pretty sure I could take them too. Like, I don't think they've got uh, a huge amount of maneuverability. Yeah, yeah, you could just do that Heck. thing where you uh, keep on dodging too quickly for them to hit you. Well, I was going to say, I could just take like a two by four and just flip them on their back. And once they're on their back, I don't know what they can really do. Yeah, that'll give you all the time you need to drive to a <laughs> hardware store and buy a sledgehammer and just crack them open. <laughs> uh did you know there was a story in the IDW comics where Bebop and Rocksteady took a sledgehammer and really messed up Donatello? Really? They they Oof. broke his shell. That's 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 pretty messed up. Yeah. Oof. You should read those comics, man. The IDW run is great. I do want to check it out, but at this point, it's kind of daunting. It's just such a massive series at this point. Yeah, uh, like it, it. It looks fun. The art's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we just go into our recommendations now? At this point, let's do it. Let's do it. So, Albert, what would you recommend to people who enjoyed the last Ronin? Uh, I think the only thing that really popped out to me was something another comic that I had read this year, which was Old Man Quill. It's by Ethan Sachs, and uh, who's the artist on that? I am looking that up right now. I'm not even uh, sure. Robert Gill. Robert Gill. So if I had to be perfectly honest, actually, it's it's quite a few people now that I think about it. But if I had to be honest, I don't think the art is the strongest point uh, of the series. But I do like Ethan Sachs quite a bit. He's someone that I've uh, come across, uh, and I've just read a couple of random things from him, but... You know his old man, uh, old man verse that he's he's uh, populated with with stories. It's actually not bad. I read like uh, the first issue of Old Man Hawkeye, and uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Unfortunately, I'm still missing an issue of that, so I wasn't able to read that. But this year, I did get the final issue of Old Man Quill I needed, and I finally got to read that. And yeah, I, I think it's another thing that checks off a bunch of the a bunch of the same tropes uh, that you would see in a lot of dystopian futures. But you know, again, if you just don't think about it and just uh, read it for the enjoyment of reading it and for wanting to see whatever happened to the Guardians of the Galaxy in the future, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, this this is kind of a fun story for that. You know, it mm-hmm. it it's, mm-hmm. hits the same navel gazy uh comic book continuity uh storytelling that you can enjoy in a good way 
do you have to be a fan of the Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, I think it uses the the movie version of the cast, so you don't necessarily need to know too much uh, if 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 you know just the basics of who the 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 cast is or who the cast of characters that they use for the movies. Okay. But okay. I, I would even say you don't necessarily even need to know that. I think I'm pretty confident that you could go into this and you can just enjoy it for what it is on its own without all that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Uh, what are, what are some recommendations that you would make? The first two would just be the last Ronin's clear points of influence. We mentioned them in this episode, but Frank Miller's Ronin, as well as Batman, the Dark Knight Returns. I mean, I assume that most people have read the Dark Knight Returns. Ronin is a book that he did in the earlier 80s uh, before his Batman stuff. It's got a lot of that cyberpunk and obviously samurai mashup in it. Um, it's it's also visually pretty distinct from his other comics because this was when he was in that phase where he was experimenting, mixing his manga influences with his European influences. So you get a little bit of that manga pacing, but with this sort of European style uh, kind of shading or cross-hatching pretty interesting to look at especially if you're accustomed to looking at stuff like sin city or his you know that period of his career another recommendation i have if you like cyberpunk comics is silent dragon by andy diggle and lanel francis Yu. that's another sort of martial arts themed cyberpunk story you know, I actually gave away my copy and I haven't read it in a long time, so I, I can't be super specific. But again, it's kind of similar in terms of just the setting and the aesthetics. And it's got a lot of, uh, yeah, those, <laughs> I guess, Japanese flavored sorts of uh, aesthetics to it. I will say it's... Probably not quite as easy to find. I don't know if it's still in print or anything. It was a Wildstorm comic from the early 2000s. But in terms of the story and art, it was it was entertaining enough. It's another one of those sort of light calorie uh, romps that you could just enjoy for what it is. It's not really trying to be anything too deep. And then the other comic that we mentioned in this episode is Spider-Man Rain by Carrie Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a genuine recommendation or? <laughs> well, I just figure if people like these kinds of dystopian yeah. future stories starring a famous character, that's another one that comes to mind because it's you know Spider-Man, yeah. and this is definitely gonna sound like a backhanded compliment because I think I intend it to be a backhanded compliment, <laughs> but I'm gonna say that Spider-Man Rain, like the last Ronin, is also not really about anything. <laughs> So if you don't mind that aspect, I think you'll be able to enjoy Spider-Man Rain because it's, you know, it's his DKR. And like we were like we were laughing at during this episode, man, like just the bizarreness of how he <laughs> ends up killing Mary Jane because of his radioactive yeah. semen over the years, just poisoning <laughs> her and giving her cancer. That That is gross. 
gross. It's, <laughs> that is a mind worm that Carrie Andrews has infected me with that I haven't been able to forget for the past 15 years. <laughs> I did actually just uh, think of something else that I would recommend. Um, I I don't think it necessarily fits the mold of like if you're looking for a dystopian future story, but I think, well, okay. First of all, uh, the thing that I'd recommend is the Adventure Time movie called Together Again. And uh, the thing about that is it's it's another story that takes the two main characters of this uh, longstanding franchise. And it, it essentially tells their final story, right? But I think it does it in a way that makes it the antithesis of these uh, dystopian future stories because it's not really about any of that. It's, uh, I think it's a good story about these two final char- these two characters on their final journey together. And um, that's something that really is uh, like heartfelt, you know, it, right. it's, I, like I think, ideally speaking, it's it's the kind of story where if you watch the entire series and you finish on that one movie, and, and that's a big ask because it's a it's a incredibly long series, right? But once you get to that movie, it's a very rewarding end to their story. Um, so, you know, if you're just looking for like a good story that's you know the you know the quote unquote end for uh beloved characters uh i i do think adventure time adventure time together again is an excellent like final story for for these two characters would you recommend watching that movie if a viewer hasn't watched any adventure time before uh i think i think there's a way to watch it and where you know, if maybe I'm giving our viewers a little too much credit, but I, I presume that there's enough there that people would understand it. I think it would have it would be most effective if you've gone on their journey together over, you know, however however many seasons they've they've gone together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they how many however many seasons of the show that they've put out. But I do think you can watch it on its own and it definitely tells you everything you need to know about these characters and what's going on. Yeah. Actually thinking back on it, I'm pretty confident that an astute viewer would be able to make up for everything that they don't necessarily know uh, mm-hmm. just through context. Okay. But I do, I guess I, I would recommend like for the most effective a viewing experience you you watch the entire series but if not i i still recommend the movie on its own okay okay yeah cool cool so if anyone has uh you know any comments to say or any questions about uh you know the last ronin or if you want to recommend uh, a story to us uh, a comic to us about the end of a certain character or series by all means hit us up on between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on our instagram at between the gutters you can tweet at us if you're listening to us on whatever platform uh yeah by all means uh give us a high or as high of a rating as you think we deserve we would appreciate that greatly that's right 
All right. Thank you, everybody. This is Between the Gutters, episode 154, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll be back with a discussion as we continue our DC Top 25 Honorable Mentions. We'll be covering Wildcats Volume 2 and Wildcats Version 3.0 by Joe Casey, Sean Phillips, Dustin Wynn, and other artists. So look forward to that. I know I am. Thanks for listening, everyone. Peace. Oh, yeah. And uh, Happy New Year to you all. Bye.